I'm delighted to be here having a frank conversation at Menagerie with... Karina. So I'm Karina Jadhav and I'm the owner of Menagerie Restaurant. Karina, it's lovely to be back in Menagerie, which is a fabulous, fabulous venue in uh, Manchester, Salford, if you want to be pinicky about it, but I always say Manchester. It must have been a really tough last nine, ten months for you. It has definitely been the most difficult nine months of my career, I think. I think emotionally and, you know, looking at looking at a business that you've built up and you've grown and put so much into and just watching that kind of sit and stagnate and not know what's going to happen next. Mm. So I've found it really hard. The silver lining is that we've had loads of time at home to focus on family, which has been amazing and something I wouldn't have really had personally without this lockdown. But you know, it's been it's been really difficult, really, really difficult to watch the restaurant sat still. Yeah, there have been some bonuses, obviously, haven't yeah. there, to, to lockdown, I think, for all of us in terms of being able to, to take a bit of a deep breath and, I guess, think a little bit about the future uh, and how you may want to change the business or develop the business. Um, but my memory of this place is, pre-COVID, it was absolutely flying. So, you know, you'd taken a new concept, launched it in the city. It's going fantastically well. So there must be part of you that's really frustrated that the shutters almost come down overnight on it. It was so frustrating because I think for the first time in the four years that we'd been open, I felt comfortable. I'd put more infrastructure in place and I'd stepped back from things a bit so that I could go and have my baby. And you know, that means I took maybe a week fully off work, but I had, <laughs> yeah. you know, it felt like, okay, I trust the people around me and this business is doing really well and you can see the fruits of your hard work. And just then to suddenly close the doors. And every time we close the doors, I am, you know, I am actually an optimist. So yeah. I was like, it's not going to be for that long. Yeah, and it's yeah. a great, okay, we'll use this to improve X, Y, and Z. And you know, what else can we do? And where can we develop the brand and all of these things? How can we engage with our customer base? What can we do with our team? How can we build that relationship and keep everyone happy and sane behind the scenes? And then it just dragged on and on and I felt really kind of lost in, in the mire of it all. Like, what, you know, what is the plan? What's next? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really typical of people with that kind of entrepreneurial mindset is that you constantly like, well, we'll overcome this hurdle. Mm. We'll figure this out, that's fine. But w this has been really unique in that I don't feel like there was even a structure to the challenges. It was like yeah, just yeah. so unknown constantly. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's something that I, I struggled with massively. I like, I don't mind challenges, but I like to kind of know what they actually are. They yeah, felt very yeah. invisible, I think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you use the analogy of a hurdle. And as you say, we've not known where the hurdles are. So it's difficult to navigate then, but we've now mm. got a roadmap. So we'll talk about how Mangeret is going to come out with everything mm. crossed that that roadmap can be stuck to. But before we do that, I want to take you back five years because I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs' stories, sort of the backdrop to your career, how you started out. You've probably got to go a bit further back than five years, yeah. maybe six or seven. Um, and then tell me sort of how your career developed and what gave you the idea for this fabulous concept. So, I mean, I'll take you way back because I think I didn't just appear out of nowhere and go, I'm going to open a restaurant and I know what I'm doing because I really didn't have a clue. Um, I had no formal business training, no education in business. I took a, like an arts direction, I did drama at uni and I became a journalist and I was plodding on with that quite nicely but I was very, very timid um, and very, very shy and introverted actually at the time which is so, nobody will believe now but I really was and I think I then started working with my other half and we did, um, he, he really wanted to own his own business and he researched a lot and I kind of just was along for the ride with that. But we did things like the food and drink festivals and um, then we kind of graduated to a trailer and then he opened a counter service unit in the Arndale and that's when I ended up working in the Arndale Food Court, which was not something that I'd ever dreamt of doing, as you can imagine. I was working on the till 
um, and in the kitchen and in the office and at the front of the food court, ushering people to our dark corner of the Arndale, <laughs> desperately trying to drag them away from KFC and McDonald's. I think for me, that was the first time that a little light bulb kind of switched on and I was like, this is really exciting because I could see an impact in my actions on the sales. And it's a bug, isn't it? I think once yeah. you start to like, yeah. get that buzz free, like, wow, right, okay. So then what if I do this or what if I do that? So I ended up leaving my job as a journalist. I was working at Granada Reports. I had, I had a, quite a nice gig um, and I could have, you know, just steadily worked up, but it was so much more exciting. And I went to work with my other half at the barbecue concept. So from there on, we opened a full service restaurant in Spinning Fields back in the day when it was a ghost town. I think yeah. The Alchemist had just opened. We'd signed before that and um, it was a massive risk, but we were almost naive and we were quite like, quite tunnel vision in our ideas. And, and, and you know, he was very, I would say, he's done me the biggest favor ever in that he's taught me everything about business and he was very savvy. Something that I did not get from my parents. My dad was a doctor, my mum was a nurse. My dad doesn't like taking credit. He doesn't like risk. So I was a very risk averse individual and going into that and watching how things worked and learning how to do some of the bookkeeping and, and to do the projections and all of that, it was a big eye opener and I really, really enjoyed it. And then the creative side of it just came into play for me massively because it was like just a big blank canvas to go wild and, and come up with all these ideas that you know I hadn't had the opportunity to do before um, and I just really really enjoyed every single aspect of it so that American barbecue business in Southern in um, Spinning Fields did relatively well it took a lot of attention off the smaller food court unit and that kind of um, it, that was a lesson, that was the first kind of big lesson that we didn't really have the infrastructure in place and it was very much a hands-on business, which isn't a way to grow a business, is it? But you know. And then, so, but that did okay and after that, uh, Mike Ingle from Allied London came and had a look at the venue, was quite surprised. Tim Bacon, I remember waltzing through the restaurant and I was just like, this is, that's Tim Bacon, <laughs> the Tim Bacon. Wow, we're on his radar, okay, we, you know, we're getting somewhere. Um, and. Anyway, so Mike basically said, listen, the unit that you're, there's another empty unit, the unit you're looking at, we can't give to you. We're going to give that to Living Ventures. We've got one across the road. Can you do something with it? And it was, to us, it was four and a half thousand square foot. It was huge. So we were like, right, okay, what can we do? So we went on this big holiday to New York, <laughs> but it wasn't holiday, it was, it was itinerary. Every single day was, it was four, four stops in the day and each stop we would go and eat a burger at somewhere different because it was the time of like the beginning of the gourmet burger yeah, yeah, yeah so i am not joking i went on that holiday with an okay appetite and i came back with a huge appetite because the more that you eat the more you want to eat <laughs> so we were just eating burger after it was like 11 a.m 2 p.m 4 p.m go have a rest get changed go out for dinner and have another burger i'm like deadly serious so we did that and we came back and went, we can't put a Byron Burger style concept in this unit, it's too big, but what have we just seen in New York? It's absolutely vibrant, it's amazing. It's tapas style, it's social dining, it's DJs, people are dancing on the tables at like nine o'clock. Some people are dancing on the tables at 1pm. They closed the curtains and made it all dark and it was just, I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, wow. So um, we came up with the idea for Neighbourhood. So, kind of a selection of different experiences from all the neighborhoods in New York. So we pulled a little bit of everything from there and um, got that open in 2012 and really hadn't forecast for it to be anything that great. Our expectations were quite low at that point. <laughs> and it just, it just flew because I think it created like a real, it created a neighborhood feel in spinning fields which had just started to flourish as that business district. Um, and it was all experience based. So going back to kind of my marketing days at uni, I did journalism, drama, marketing, and I pulled a lot from that. And it was all about like implementing experience. So I was like, well, why can't we do this in hospitality? Everyone talks about retail, but we can do this in hospitality. So that was kind of the aim and it, it worked really, really well. Fast forward to 2015, um, we'd just got Victor's opened. We 
separated, went our way, separate ways, and I was kind of out, out on my own then. I left the business completely. Um, I was devastated, absolutely devastated, because that was the only thing that really kept me sane. I know now, it, for me, it feels weird because I've got a one-year-old and I'm like, <laughs> that's my life. But back then, work was everything to me and I just felt really, really lost. So I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I went and spoke to loads of different people, had meetings left, right and centre. I got offered a lot of marketing jobs, which, at the time, I was disappointed to be offered and I felt like I had more to offer. Um, and I actually, uh, Tim Bacon was brilliant with me. He was very, very encouraging. This was 2015 into 2016 and he kind of just said to me, listen, you've, you know what you're doing, but you've just lost your confidence. So pick yourself up and got to blag a bit like that's that's the truth you've got to blag a bit and nobody no one had ever really said it to me like that before so I was like right I've got to do this because if I don't do it now I'm never ever going to do it I'll just the fear will kind of hold me back because I am quite a cautious person so I flung myself into this new project menagerie I knew that I couldn't go back to the old template that we'd had with neighborhood which mm. worked I thought that was the best thing since sliced bread I was like dine drink dance um, it's experience-based, that's it. But I, I couldn't go and copy. We had, to, we had to evolve and we had to bring things forward. So I was like, well, okay, I'm 30 and I'm female. And Neighbourhood was really aimed at men. Mm. I'd done that um, kind of unconscious marketing to, to men. I, it really wasn't on purpose. It's just the way that we've all been conditioned. <laughs> and I realised that there's nothing really just kind of aimed at somebody like me. So that's where the kind of the idea for Menagerie came up. Um, it was to be female friendly, lower price point, because we need the volume of people mm. through. And it's just aimed at women, which was like completely rare at that point. And then beyond that, I was like, well, what would I want if I went to a restaurant? What have I seen in America and Europe? There's spaces, there's spaces being used in a really fun way. Um, and I was working with a builder and designer who didn't get that at all and just you know the old way of doing things in hospitality is that you fill a restaurant with tables and chairs and every piece of like the floor is used for sales and they couldn't get the head around me wanting to put a bathtub in a bar which now everyone's like oh a bathtub of course that's such a good idea well done and I'm like but in 2016 when I was like we're going to do two giant frames and they need to be weight bearings. So we're going to stand in them and I want a bathtub in the middle because that's going to be so cool and it's going to be a really great photo spot. The faces were just like, what? Mm -hmm. She's lost it and she's going to lose it all and it's going to fail straight away, but she's paying, so fine. And kind of as that was all going on, I was juggling all the different plates of like getting the lease signed and getting the design done and working with the builder and trying to get the investments on board and, you know, working with the bank and the landlord. It was just very stressful mm -hmm. everyone knows everyone anyone that's ever set a business up knows don't they but we got there and it absolutely took its toll on me and it was it's the most difficult restaurant that I've <laughs> ever got open but I feel like this is the restaurant I'm proudest of because I did it stood on my own it was very very scary and we created something new in this I like to think it's something new we've got a catwalk through the middle we've got aerial performers we've got the photo areas like it's it's very very um, light-hearted it's very fun so yeah that's that's kind of that took me to 2016 and getting the restaurant open and then year after year from that day it just got harder and harder because there was one thing after another with whether it was that the road to the restaurant got completely closed off or you know um, there was obviously the Manchester terror attack which was awful and I think the whole city just kind of shut down we just all didn't know what to do we we're all in mourning it was awful and then the year after that I was really ill I had meningitis and then it was 2019 and then we had a pandemic so I can laugh about it now but it has been like wow what next I never really thought that we could top 2018 mm. and you know yeah. nearly nearly losing my life mm. but we yeah, yeah we kind of got there so so yeah but I think out of all of that it's definitely toughened me up to 
the challenges you face. Mm. Challenge is a nice way to put it. Yeah. That's just part of your job. <laughs> and I don't know, I've said this, I've said this a few times, but my father-in-law always says to me, he was a football manager and he's like old school. He's like, if you don't like problems, you're in the wrong job. And it's like deadpan, that's, that's it. I'm like, okay, you know, fine, you're right. You're completely right. That's my job, so get on with it and stop whinging. You've got to be a problem solver. But uh, you probably have more problems than you thought you were going to have to solve thrown at you over that five-year period. Hugely. Let me just take you back through that journey, though, because some fascinating comments that you've made that um, I think you've outlined very clearly how you've utilised your skill base around your marketing uh, background. And obviously, really good presenter, so you'll be able to persuade people to buy your product. You don't get on Granada reports if you're not a good presenter. Uh, well, I was, I, was, um, I was a desk journalist, just to clarify that, yeah. so I wasn't on screen, but, but yeah, I was... But you're watching what's going on, yeah? Yeah. So yeah. if you're working in that environment, you're picking up those tips and you're seeing what's yeah. a good presenter and what's a bad presenter. Yeah. Um, this, this coming from a politician for 12 years, I've seen some really bad presenters, uh, and fortunately some good ones. I think I'm sort of halfway between the two. So you've got that situation where you've got that background, but I think what's really fascinating about your story is that you said to me during that piece that you were talking about then, you've gone and sought advice from people. And if there's one thing I would say to anyone who's starting their own business now, and the lesson I only learned years into um, setting up downtown, is go and do that before you actually launch mm. into uh, any business venture because you will pick up uh, an awful lot of tips and if you get the right sort of people alongside you and you couldn't have anyone better in hospitality than Tim Bacon right um, then that will really give you a good kickstart in terms of where you're wanting to go so you know just just perhaps talk us through how important that mentoring was in terms of getting this thing off the ground so it's really interesting you say that because I I get inundated with requests for me to mentor people at the moment and I think I don't feel like I'm actually at a place in my career where I am mentor level yet which might sound silly but I'm still I feel like I'm still at the beginning and my best advice I give to people because I'm really honest I'm like you know I want to help everyone but if I can I can't do it on that individual basis right now because I just don't physically have the minutes in the day but my, the best thing that we did originally, me and my ex-husband, was that we both worked from the absolute bottom up. So like, I, and I still do it now, I um, worked on the till, I, worked, I knew how to work on the grill, I could do all the bookkeeping, and he went and worked at other, he worked at Nando's and Byron, um, and brought that knowledge back and then taught me what to do. And, we would go and I would go and clean the toilets now. Like I would do that, or I would be able to go and work on the bar. I can co I can um, make cocktails. You know, I'm not a chef, but I know how the kitchen works. I understand. I I've worked in pretty much every role, so I understand every element of the business. Um, because you don't just plonk yourself at the top of a business. You need to understand all the building blocks around it, and especially in such an intricate industry like hospitality. There's so much that goes into it that the best education is to go and actually just work. I learn better when I'm working. Mm. And then once you've got that level of knowledge and the foundation, you know, then it's time to reach out to people and say, okay, I don't, you know, this is what I want my next move to be. Or this is what I'm interested in doing. What do you think? Or would you be interested in getting involved? Or do you have like a space for me within your business? Um, and then I think that's the for me, that's been the best way to approach that conversation, and it worked really. Tim was amazing with me, you know, and I needed that kind of little push at that point in time. But even recently, there was something that you know I wanted to do, and yesterday, this worst day to do it because just as everyone's, we've announced that we're reopening, I was like, right, I'm going to do this, and I picked up the phone to every single person I knew in this industry, and everyone's like, great. So today, my inbox is full of information. <laughs> I'm a bit overwhelmed, but it's the best way to go about it because mm. everyone wants to help each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. brilliant for all of us. Yeah. So definitely, it's just networking and connecting and, and reaching out to the right people, but not expecting it to come out of thin air. You do have to have 
the hard work behind you, don't you? You know. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing that you said um, earlier was that you lack some confidence. Um, now, difficult to imagine uh, because obviously I've met you in um, particular forums and environments where mm -hmm. I've always thought, wow, yeah. what a confident entrepreneur she is. Um, I'm sure at times, like all of us, you still have your doubts and you, you still lack a little bit of confidence in terms of what you do because we all do. Um, but overall, you must look at what you've achieved, not just with Marjorie, but past ventures. And that must give you then a degree of comfort in your own ability moving forward. Or do you still sort of occasionally have that self-doubt? And, and if you do, how do you overcome that? Well, this is like quite a deep thing for me. I think I, I think as well, I think one, one big point is that I'm female and I'm in a, I am in a male dominated industry. So from my perspective, I don't think that's helped things at all because I am very good at speaking and, um, you know, voicing what I think now, but definitely from being, you know, like from being three years old, I've definitely felt uh, that conditioning of kind of stepping back, letting boys go first, pushing men before myself. I definitely did that for a long time um, and not necessarily having the belief in my own opinion, needing that other person to reinforce what I was saying. So there's lots of, you know, life experiences that have, have fed into that. And it's really interesting how life works because years and years later, people come back and apologize for things. and and say, you know what, I'm really, that's actually weighed really heavily on me that I did that maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, and that for me, those validations have been really, really useful because that's kind of another building block into me feeling that kind of confidence in my own voice and that I wasn't crazy or, you know, just didn't know what I was doing. And yes, definitely at this stage with this restaurant, because I've had to battle through so much, you know, I know that I know what I'm doing and I feel confident that I know what I'm doing, but I think it's never a good thing to sit and, and be arrogant about it. And I don't think that the fear is always a bad thing. I think, you know, as human mm -hmm. beings, we need to take that fear yeah. and use it in the right way. And I, I'm a very fearful person, <laughs> hugely. And it, in part, you know, I've got my dad, like I, I say that he's Indian and he was a doctor and he um, came over in the 70s with 40 pounds. He is so risk averse. I've just had that hammered into me my whole <laughs> life. So to be in an industry where you have to juggle a cash flow, you know, it's, it's high risk. Yeah, yeah. It's, that just really, um, that I battle with that, there's two sides to me. So I've got that little voice in my head all the time saying you shouldn't be doing that. That's too risky, just reel it in. Can't you just settle for just being like this or just doing this and, but I am, what I've realized about myself is I can't just settle. And when I am feeling 100%, I'm like, you know, blooming Tigger, I'm ready. I'm like bouncing around like full of ideas and annoying everyone. But if I did just sit and kind of let things tick over, um, I wouldn't be satisfied. Mm. So is that just a character trait that you see in people that want to own their own businesses and enjoy the highs and the lows of it? Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. I think it's quite normal for us all to be yeah. quite, quite hard on ourselves, mm. but then of, you know, have that have that kind of knowing and confidence that you will find your way through it mm. and you say you're in a, a male dominated uh, industry I suppose most women in this country could say that about most industries to be fair couldn't they I mean I, I get where you're coming from in terms of hospitality for sure mm. you know, we do a lot in property for example so male again dominated. very male dominated um, but there's some advantages um, mm. to being female you might not see them but I think that you are probably, you know, as a species, I don't want to generalise here because I'll get myself into trouble, <laughs> um, but I think that you can be less emotional actually in terms of business decisions uh, and a lot of people might not relate that, but I think the 
female entrepreneurs that I know are successful actually can take themselves outside of the This is a big, this is a big, big thing for me. And I, I think the other thing I'd say is, I think fever, and again, this is very generalised comments, so anyone listening to this, please don't be emailing me saying I'm a gobshite. But I think that females often are more persuasive in terms of being able to approach particular issues, particularly if they may be sensitive, for example. So there are advantages mm. uh, to, to being female, I think, in business. Um, I think there may be more disadvantages, but I think what you've managed to do clearly, mm. because this is a fantastically successful venture. So you've done something right. It's like my own slice of heaven. Yeah, yeah. And I've created so, uh, an environment for women in an industry where it's not always for women. And so do you, do you recognise those traits or am I just barking up the wrong tree there? Well, no, I find it absolutely fascinating what you're saying because it's all, it all goes back to conditioning. So I learned from my ex-husband. <laughs> I, I, I don't have business education so, and I don't know anything about business other than what I've experienced. So, you know, I'll be honest about that. So I watched him and he'd worked at Lidl and you know, all these places where you had to be very cut and dry. Yeah. And his, his style of business was very, very aggressive, but in a very, you know, he's brilliant, brilliant what what he does. Um, so I thought that's how I should be. Mm. So for a long time, I'm sure I had a reputation for being quite abrasive, quite cutthroat, heartless, <laughs> you know, things that, it, I, that's just so not me. But it was really a defense mechanism, and it's because I didn't feel comfortable in my own management style, or I felt like people didn't think I knew what I was doing. People didn't think I knew what I was doing. Okay. People didn't. So one thing that I'm really keen on now, and that I've worked on very, very hard the last few years in this business, is that I've changed my management style, and I've tried to be, I want to have a team of people where we all, it's inclusive, mm. everyone's voice is listened to, it's not, like, I don't want to hear what you've got to say because mm. we're just going to do it my way, that's it. You know, I actually take everybody's opinion into consideration and we are a team. And I don't think that I could have developed the business to a point where I could step away to go and have a baby or have any kind of break whatsoever, even if it's only a week, without doing that because then there's that mutual respect and you, you learn who you can rely on and who's really in it and wants to be part of it. Um, and you learn who doesn't, and that's fine, and it's not for everyone. But I think that's something I find very, very difficult because the easy thing is to be quite dictatorial in your management style, especially as a female. Because if you show an ounce of, you know, warmth or, you know, what people would say, soft, being soft, um, it can be taken advantage of. It has been taken advantage of a lot, but I'm finding a balance with it. I think that's really important because I don't think you have to run a business by being, you know, hard on everyone and hard on yourself. I don't think you can now. I, I think there's a, a very different way in which people expect mm. to be treated. Nurtured. And developed. Uh, and so that brings me nicely onto my next question really, which is, as you've developed the business, you will have developed a, a strong culture uh, within your business because that's the sort of personality that, that you are. So, you know, what are the key ingredients for you in terms of developing a strong effective culture within your business you know what every year i start rewriting our um we are menagerie <laughs> like we are we are forward thinking we are a young you know like all these things but i think one thing that i keep coming back to and this lockdown has taught me is that we have integrity so i think the culture is really centered around having integrity doing the right thing you know say it's in the same category um, and caring about other people and I think it pays dividends number one you can sleep really well at night I know this might not seem relative to hospitality but it is because everything's based around people mm. and there's ways to do things so lockdown financial strain has shone, shone a spotlight on the different kind of groups of business and some people have opted for one way and some have opted for another and I think my belief from day dot was that my top priority will be the team. They look after me, I look after them, and that's the right way to go about it, and we've stuck with that. So that's the kind of culture that we've tried to build, and I think, you know, I'm definitely at fault for not always, I don't think I communicate enough with them, as much as I would like to, 
but that's our that's our big aim is to keep that constant communication going and engagement with the team and make sure that they are happy in themselves like happy well-rounded individuals because that's going to be better for the business and you know there is a cost to that but it's worth it in the long in the long run we've got yeah. to see beyond 2020 and 2021 and look at the bigger picture so for me that's that's the kind of culture that I have been working on and want to continue growing and then within them we want to instill that we are it's an exciting business to work for because there's not a great pool of you know experienced um, hospitality professionals we're, we're a small industry really so you want the best people and the best people want to come and work for those companies that care and somewhere exciting where there is some development available and you feel like you are an industry leader. So that's something that I like to I like us all to strive for. And you talk about investment in terms of your team. I think it is an investment, isn't it? Mm. It's not a cost in a sense. It's it's yeah, investing in your brand, in your future, in your talent. Um, but when you're in hospitality, as much as any industry sector, the customer is hugely important be quite challenging at times I'm sure um, so when you started to think about the sort of experience you could give to people and when you started to think about something that was going to be female friendly um, just tell us what a typical Mangere brilliant night looks like for you you, know, well, what's, you you sort of even take me back to a particular experience you've had here ooh, so and many. where you've gone and you've just gone home of it and gone wow we smashed that well, okay, so with this restaurant, it's been um, challenges and surprises. So there's, you know, there's every, for me, the big surprise is that we do this real, I've never had this before, we do a really good daytime trade and it's amazing. And that's something I think I've really missed. So I love a Saturday afternoon. I can walk in at 1 p.m. We open at 12, I can walk in at 1 p.m. and the venue with 7,000 square foot is full of women there's might be two or three I am not joking there might be two or three men sat at tables <laughs> deadly serious and you know by three four o'clock people are singing it's bottomless brunch the atmosphere is just electric it's gorgeous I love it and I think I've missed feeding off that atmosphere Yay. I didn't realize I said to the other day to my other half like I actually think I miss that energy of walking through the restaurant when it's full of people and it's buzzing and everyone's singing and everyone's just having such a good time it's like a happy place <laughs> How rare is that in this day and age, you know, to find a room full of people where everybody is happy. They've made a massive effort to come out. And you know, you get to December and you've got people dancing on the catwalk at three o'clock, dressed in Christmas fancy dress and stuff. And it's just so much fun. And I think that's something that I'm really happy that I've done as part of my career. I've like brought happiness into people's lives. Yeah, yeah. That's a really big pass on the back to myself there. But you know, you, we live in quite a grey world sometimes, so it's escapism. So that's just, that's something I really, really enjoy. I love a Saturday night. I love seeing the performers on the catwalk. Absolutely love watching people's responses. I love it when there's couples on dates and the girls glaring at the, part, the partner and like nudging him and telling him not to look. It's so funny. And then, the, and then we've got um, a male acrobat that comes out and like does a strip on him, hand, does a hand balancing strip. <laughs> And it's the other way around, so it's just, it's brilliant. I love that. Um, it's nice that that's my job and I get to enjoy that side of things. That makes it all worth it. But then, and then beyond that, there's the moments that we've had over the last four years where things have happened that I just never, ever dreamt would happen in Salford. So, like for me, you know, we've had, we've had really big celebs. We've had Justin Timberlake and we've had Drake um, and, and that's great, but for me, when um, Beyonce's dance crew all came in and did the giant flash mob through the restaurant, I was, I was in Mallorca. Wow, yeah. And I was crying on FaceTime. I think it was to Joel. I was crying. My and Benmo, the half, was like, "Are you all right? Do you want to put your phone down?" I was like, "This is amazing. You don't understand what this means to me because it's." Like, just somebody, that I, I love all these people, these dancers and performers, and they're in the middle of menagerie. Like, how did this even happen? So that's one of those pinch me moments where you're like, you never ever expected that that would kind of come true or you couldn't write it. Um, so I'm super grateful for that because one life, amazing experiences, and then you get these challenges and it kind of makes it, it eases the way into that, doesn't it? 
so many highlights and many more to come we're going to take a short break now and when we come back we're going to talk about the many more to come but we're also going to talk about how we've got through the last nine or ten months mm. stay with us we'll be back in a minute well the route map is out boris is finally releasing us and we can get back to some fantastic downtown in business live events we have a range of wonderful speakers for your entertainment and delight in the coming months hopefully from the spring onwards and of course the city of liverpool city of manchester and city of birmingham awards too it's time to bounce back, folks. So log on to all the W's downtown in business, go to the events section and see how we can help you grow your business. Okay, welcome back. We've just been talking about your fabulous journey uh, for the first four or five years of this marvellous Marjorie venture that you undertook. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. So before we get into the detail of how it's impacted upon your business at a personal level and indeed the hospitality sector give me your thoughts on how the government have handled things for business hmm <sighs> I, I'm really surprised that the party that I thought was the party of business doesn't seem to have felt like the party of business <laughs> it's been very difficult I personally have been underwhelmed with the way that they've managed things for business. Um, I think for hospitality, you know, in particular, people believe that we've had a lot of financial support. And we really, I mean, this business hasn't. We weren't eligible for the initial round of grants. I think there was a grant that came through at the end of last year that was, you know, um, a very, very, very minimal and wouldn't probably, it's not even a 20th of our rent for one month. So. It doesn't. It wasn't really financial support, so we've really had to accrue debt to survive, and that's something that I think could have been managed better. I mean, where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> I would have really liked if Boris Johnson would have gone to those initial Cobra meetings. Frankly, yeah. I would have really liked it if he'd done that. I would have liked it if he'd locked down the country immediately and taken it seriously from day dot. There was, you know. Um, investigate you know they looked into pandemic situations previously and it kind of just got brushed to the back but when you step back and look at things it w it's not surprising that we've had a pandemic in the world that we live in with international travel and some of the things that go on you know um, elsewhere in the world so i would have liked us to be more prepared or at least when it happened to speak to people that had prior experience of similar situations like former pms I think we should have pulled our resources together a bit more you know we were talking about mentorship and collaboration that would have I believe that would have been very very helpful um, and I think the business in general has suffered because that has lacked not all businesses suffered though some businesses have flourished and really mm -hmm. benefited from the lockdown and we have to look at that yeah. um, but I know you know when when it comes to hospitality I've been very close with a lot of other business owners during the lockdown we've kind of spoken a lot and and you know tried to come together to have a, a voice together um, and I think we we all feel pretty let down to be honest and I think this is the problem with the spin that's been put on from uh, the Chancellor and his colleagues about this massive package of business support that's in place because actually what they've done to all of us uh, who aren't in that fortunate position of being able to take advantage of the pandemic is they've allowed us to take on more debt uh, and so you know offline you and I were saying well yet the business has survived but it's going to take us three or four years to actually repay what we've had to borrow to just keep the doors open and I think that's where I start to fall out uh, with the government because the one thing that I've felt since probably 2008 is the business is almost treated as a dirty smell in the room by government now and it doesn't almost matter which party you talk to uh, enterprise entrepreneurship they used to be the words that we would celebrate in this country and now all of a sudden it's oh don't mention that i don't know if you feel that way but i, I just feel as though look you talk about redistributing wealth who's going to create it and it's down to people like us 
I completely agree with you. I think, personally though, I don't think I've ever known a time where I felt like if I said to somebody I'm a business owner or, an I wouldn't say I'm an entrepreneur, but if I said that kind of thing, I don't feel like in the UK it is heralded or it is something that's applauded. I feel like in America, <laughs> businesses open and close a lot quicker because it's a lot easier to do, but also it's kind of, um, supported a lot more over there that's the culture it's like go and get it go and get it I think the problem is the perspective is that if you are a business owner you're just out for yourself but I really don't feel like that's the truth anymore I think there are good businesses there are people that care we care about people we care about the environment you know like we're paying a hell of a lot of tax so I'm a massive advocate of the NHS and social services you know having a welfare state I, I am but I also want to be able to afford to run the business, so it's looking at the balancing at how that works. I wrote quite, you know, I wrote quite a big article about business rates and bricks and mortar re, um, businesses, and how you know times have changed. Times have changed. So much business is online now, but we are penalised for being here, and yet we are bringing a wealth of experience. We're bringing colour, you know, we're bringing something to people's lives. Um, and yet we've probably got the worst margins going for you know any industry yeah. it's a tough tough industry to be in um, and I think that all needs kind of revisiting and people's perspectives on it need to be educated mm. we need to show people that it's not just about one person getting ridiculously wealthy it's about you know a group of people all doing well and creating something and enjoying their work um, an opportunity for people and actually, hospitality is a really good example of an industry where you don't have to have any experience to make something of yourself or have a really great career. Mm. You make a lot of, you know, our servers do very well for themselves. People don't look at it as a career, but it is, a, it's, a, it's a career with a skill set and you learn on the job. And, um, you know, the knowledge base is immense. But that's, it's all down to the way people approach things and, and perceive what is. And that's where the Conservative government have surprised me because I thought they would have begun to maybe shift the dial on that narrative. Uh, and certainly, you're not old enough to remember, but you know, through the Thatcher years, it was almost celebrated if you were greedy. Uh, I don't agree with that type of capitalism, but nevertheless, you know, there was certainly yeah. a nod to people who would go and get things and who would take a risk. And I think even during the Blair years, you saw that. In fact, famously, Peter Mandelson said, I don't mind people getting filthy rich as long as they pay the taxes. And I think mm -hmm. we've just lost this culture of actually, as I say, admiring people who take those risks uh, and actually acknowledging the important role of business, particularly small business pay, in delivering the NHS and social services and the welfare state. Because as I say, you can't redistribute wealth if nobody's creating it. Yeah. But if I just stick with the hospitality sector for a moment, because again, I think this is where the governments have started to get lost in terms of what they think is support, and then missing out on the notion of how much you underpin the economy, particularly in places like Manchester. So, if a hospitality venue has to close its doors, and let's be very specific and talk about Montgere, mm -hmm. who are your supply chain that over the last nine months you haven't needed to work with? Huge. Our supply chain, our supply chain is huge. So, like, when you look at our accounts, we've got over 100 suppliers for different. There's some, somebody for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sat in front of a living wall right now. There's a supplier for that. They have to maintain that. They've not had any work. It's, it's all these people that are completely missed out. But, you know, the other side of it is, and you will definitely understand this because you're, you do a lot around property, we are a tenant. How many restaurants and bars are going to have to close their doors or have closed their doors who are in buildings which are actually investment pieces for pension funds? You know, yeah. and you can say, well, it's fine. The offices are still there, but we uh, we're a nice addition to that. Offices don't just want all offices; they no. want some F and B. They want that life in the building, and that's you know we complement that. So you can't have a world where it's just office. I don't believe it works where it's just offices. I think you need to have that sprinkling mm. of of life. 
Um, so I think people don't realise that you can demand rent from somebody, but if there's no trade and there's no money in the bank, it just won't get paid, so it's just gone and it's just all lost. Mm. And then any furlough that's been paid to that company is just a waste, basically. Absolutely. Um, and for us, we've, that is something kind of from day dot, we've looked after, and that is something that's important to me. We've looked after our team, we've looked after our suppliers, and we've made sure that everybody, because we will need them in the future. Yeah. You know, opening in July, it was an interesting conversation because people that we used to have 60 days credit with, like, it's payment, you know, on delivery. Of course, yeah. And I was like, wait, you know, we've paid up. We've been really good. We've, and we had that relationship and it was fine. Most of it was re-implemented as, as normal credit terms. But, you know, most people, a lot of people haven't been able to do that. It's, it's a luxury. So there's a lot that I don't think the general public realizes going on behind the scenes in hospitality or the bigger picture of it. Yeah, the big, big supply chain. Yeah. Uh, and let me just ask you about the industry generally. How many people do you fear are at serious risk now of just not reopening the doors? I mean, I, I'm just waiting to see what happens. I think what happens with the Chancellor's announcement, read the budget, will be a really big make or break moment for a lot of people because we've got the fact that was due from March 2020, um, that bat holiday ends, business rates start again. And that's when people will see the crunch, and that's when we'll see probably another wave of closures, I think, unless there's some more support in there for people. So that, for me, that will, that's probably going to be a time, but I think a lot of people have already closed that. I know a lot of people have closed the doors. Some businesses that, you know, were multi-site units, and they just said it's just not, yeah. it's a tough industry, the margins are small. So if it's already tough and then it's just become impossible, it's just too hard. Yeah. yeah. Not too hard for you. You're <laughs> going to yet. reopen your doors yeah. and we're hoping it's going to be due. We're hoping. May. Is it May you can open? 17th of May we can open indoor dining, oh, six okay. people at a table. Fantastic. So even more optimistic than I'm giving it credit for. The reason I pointed out June, of course, is that um, I've just persuaded you to have our after show party for yes. the City of Manchester Business Awards, so we can't wait for that. But tell us about your plans for reopening. So you reopen May, you must already be getting excited as to what you can potentially do here. I'm just excited to get the doors open and get the, have some life in the venue. I mean, so it was announced in uh, the House of Commons yesterday afternoon. I am not exaggerating when I say three minutes later the first reservation came through and we were like, oh, we're not ready for this. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, it's going to be a slow process, but it just hasn't been. So May is very, very busy. June is very, very busy because that's when the regulations on the rule of six lift. Mm -hmm. We think they will. Yes. Um, and people are desperate to get out and socialise. So that's all going on we're just looking at whether we can do some outdoor dining in new bailey in the development with our next door neighbors food well um and what we can do how much space we can take and whether it's financially viable because yeah. it's great to say you can open a beer garden not everyone has a beer garden no. and it's not always great weather mm. and it's expensive to weatherproof so there's all those factors to think about so that's where we're up to at the moment but it's it's exciting it's nice to have a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. I don't think it's right that we aren't opening at the same time as non-essential retail because I think we have provided extremely safe spaces. Mm. Um, and I know like, if you look at the science, if you look at the data, Public Health England, I think we were 2% of traceable infections came from hospitality when we were open. For the four months we were open. Which is minimal compared to schools, universities, which I think should be open, but mm. I do feel like hospitality has been hugely penalised. Yeah. Just they needed somebody to blame, so this is an easy industry to point to. It, it baffles me how you can, you know, say it's okay for an army of people going to Tesco, but you can't come into a COVID-secure hospitality venue. But listen, ours is not a reason why, unfortunately, is it? And again, <laughs> it comes back to that earlier comments are made about business perhaps not having the influence it should have at government level um, but we'll hopefully get there in the not too distant future 
I can't wait uh, for venues to open. I'm sure you've got a very, very loyal follower of people from Montgeray who are just desperate to get back into this place and experience the great shows that you put on, uh, if nothing else. Um, but just to finish the conversation off, I just want to go back to those early days of your career and, and how you've developed a, as a, a person, a businesswoman, uh, I would say an entrepreneur, even if you wouldn't. Uh, and again, I think it's interesting um, that, that you will try and sort of not claim that mantle when most people would look at what you've done and think, well, that's really entrepreneurial. You know, you've taken a risk, that's entrepreneurial. You've gone out, you've researched, you've come up with a unique product. All of these things are what will fit into the entrepreneurial um, definition, if you like. So I will call you an entrepreneur, Thank even you. if you don't. But let me ask you this. When we come out of any downturn, any recession, you tend to find lots of new businesses and new startups. So give me three tips that you would give to a new startup. They came to you and said, right, what are the three things I should be thinking about as I start my own journey? Well, firstly, I am so excited because I'm a really intuitive person and I feel it now. I can feel the energy. I can feel like it's going to be so exciting for business now once we reopen. So that's exciting. Um, if you are starting up a new business, firstly, you need to know your industry inside out. You need to work in your industry. That's, I honestly think that's the most important thing. Whether you volunteer to help or you go and get a job, you know, you have to get your feet foot through the door um, and work your way up and know it, know it inside out. Because if you don't know it inside out, you're going to make some huge mistakes. <laughs> huge mistakes. I make huge mistakes, and I have done. I've worked on like kind of every level of hospitality. So that's that's just the basic. Um, I think something from me definitely aimed at women, but I know men also feel, men sometimes feel uncertain about what they're saying. I don't know how often it happens, but I'm sure they do. No, sorry. Um, you, you need to have the courage of your convictions. So if you've done your work and you've researched, you need to believe in what you're doing because not everybody is going to be holding your hand along the way. So you need to have your voice and be confident in that. Um, and I think that for me was big. I would not have a bathtub here, which has been very important to me, if I hadn't have had the courage of my convictions. And then just knowing that challenges are a normal part of it and not to take it too seriously. So like one of my favorite phrases is that you shouldn't believe your own acclaim too much and you shouldn't believe you, you know the criticism that comes at you. That's not the right saying, but you get where I'm coming from yeah. with it don't take anything too seriously because it all comes and goes very quickly. You just know that you'll get through it and you'll find a way through it. There's always a solution. And I think, I think that's it really. It makes it sound very simple. Yeah, I think the other thing I'd say is that, you know, once you've established a team, even if it's only a small team, mm -hmm. book at least once a month at Mongeray and come and take them out for a good night out, yeah? I should have said that, that's perfect, yeah. <laughs> Look after your team. <laughs> and on that note, Thanks for having a frank thank conversation you. with us. Oh, thank you so much. Brilliant, thank you.